really believe it's so important for us as we make this transition, um, whoever the next VPN pastor will be, that we be a people of prayer. We'll be a people of prayer. And I'm saying that's really important. When Israel wanted a king, and the people wanted a different king, different kind of king, the people were deciding out of the flesh because Saul was 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 handsome, was was at least in the outside looked like a leader, but inside he was so far from the Lord. And I'm telling you, if we don't pray, God's gonna give you a leader that your flesh desires. Right? We need to pray, seek the Lord that God will give us a leader, and for VPN ministry, a pastor that God desires. And how does that happen? When we die to ourselves, when we seek the Lord, when we intercede, God will bring a pastor for VPN that he desires, not what we desire. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm committed to praying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning. Come with me at least one day out of the week here from 6 to 7 to pray in the street. Would you do that? Amen. All right. So turn your Bibles today. To 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we're going to cover verse 17 to 20, 34, but the, the main portion of scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26. Let me read the text for you. I'm reading from the ESV version. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Someone say amen. So, this text or this portion of scripture is referring to what? We know as what? Communion. The Lord's table. Now, we're in, today we're not having the Lord's table, communion, but it means more than just taking the bread or drinking the juice, or some churches may actually use real wine. But the point is this what I want to share with you from this text is this the heart of worship. The heart of worship. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your spirit to come now. And speak, Lord, speak to our hearts through your word. May the teaching and preaching of God's word be clear and be convicting. Praying that your people will receive your word. Their hearts will be receptive. Their minds will be open to the word of God so the spirit of God will speak to us. We ask you, Lord, that to draw us, Lord, closer to you, to the heart of worship, Lord. Help us to know and understand what worship really means. And Lord, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us if we make worship anything else except for your glory and for your pleasure. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the language of this chapter presents for us an unmistakable understanding of this wonderful but fearful, wonderful, but fearful opportunity for worship. What Paul is saying here is this. He is warning us when we come to the Lord's table or into the Lord's presence, he's saying we are not to come before the presence of God, the, the Lord's table, in a cavalier, callous, and careless way that does not discern the seriousness of what happened on the cross. If you are a believer, if you say you know Jesus Christ, we should not take worship lightly. Now, everything we do is worship. Okay, I'm going to go into that a little bit more. I'm going to talk about the modes of worship. But there's worship that honors God, and there's worship dishonors God. There's worship that pleases God, and there's worship that is distasteable before God. 
lot of Christians think, okay, if I come to church and sit on service, sit in the service, and hear a pastor or preacher preach and give my offering, sing a couple of songs, they think that's the end of worship. It's not. It is not. It's more than that. It's more than that. But the highest form of worship is when you and I come before him as broken people who are in desperate need of a savior, and you know that, and you acknowledge that, just like Jesus talked about in the parable, there was a Pharisee who would pray to himself. And think about this. This is crazy. A Pharisee. Jesus said he was praying to himself. And what did he pray? He said, Lord, aren't you glad that I am not like this publican? I fast twice a week. I give my tithe. I don't lie, cheat, steal. I don't have premarital sex or extramarital sex. He said, I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus said he was praying to himself. And listen, I want you to understand this, okay? Because there are people in churches every single Sunday, they think they're worshiping God, but they're worshiping themselves. They make worship, right, what pleases them. Listen, worship is not about you and I. Let me say that again. Worship is not about you and I. Worship isn't if God blesses you or not. Worship is not if you move by the Spirit of God or not. Worship is when, like Joe said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on. Amen. Let me, let me get down to where you live. Worship is when you don't even have a pastor. You say, Lord, you giveth, you taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Now listen, I'm not taking away anything what Pastor Dennis has done. He's built a great foundation for BTM. But my hope and my prayer is that you as BTM Ministries take it, take it to the next level. It's sort of like this. My kids, you know, I have four kids. And I can't wait for them to all move out. Just kidding. But seriously, my wife and I, we had to raise or we, we did everything by the grace of God to raise them in the ways of the Lord. We took them to Sundays. I don't know any Sunday that we missed a Sunday to worship the Lord. Right? We taught them how to give offerings. We taught them how to serve. We taught them how to give. We taught them how to worship the Lord. We never told them how to dress. Just dress your best. Let's go cut a butt naked to church. Amen. We try to teach them as parents what it means to be Christian, the best in our ability. But we know, we know this, okay? While, we're there, while our kids are living under our household, they don't take ownership of their faith. Like they don't take, well, this is my faith. For me and my household, Joshua said, I will serve the Lord. Now we got two kids who have moved out. Got one in the army who's uh, stationed in Korea, defending the motherland. He's going to move soon to Hawaii to defend Hawaii. <laughs> and then I have uh, the older daughter who's finishing up University of Washington at UTEP. And you know what I've seen happen to them is that they realize they can't, like, like they can't be under mommy and daddy's faith, right? They, they can't, like, follow Jesus. Because mom and dad told them to follow Jesus. They, they, they move out of the house, and they become sort of like, okay, they, they start thinking to themselves, am I going to be a follower of Jesus? Am I really going to follow Jesus? Am I going to follow Jesus because of mom and dad? Or am I going to follow Jesus because Jesus died for me? And I share that with you is this. Is that, and then Kevin said it right, I think, in the beginning as we were worshiping the Lord. Are we going to follow Jesus because of a pastor? See, let me tell you something. Pastors come and go. Right? And pastors, listen, let me tell you something. Because I've seen many pastors, they are not perfect. They will fail you. They will fail you. Trust me. All men will fail you. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. The man. That's right. He's the man. 
Father, will me worship God. Don't take it lightly. Let me give you some practical examples, okay? Number one, be on time. Amen. And I got it. Like, I had to teach a baptism class before coming here. And we got, like, you know, two or three uh, BCM students and uh, two or three students, uh, math students, uh, high point members that want to get baptized, okay? So I was late coming to join and worship you at, with you at 1.30. But I remember when I first got here, when I first got here about a year and a half ago, and I was observing how, how, what, what BCM service like. You guys didn't start till 15 minutes after. You know, I told Pastor Dennis, I don't care if you're the only person there. You start on time. Because why? Being on time is what? What does it say? That this is important. Yes or no? Why do you show up on time for class? Because it's important. Why do you show up on time for, like, like for, for work? Because you don't want to get fired. That's what happens. It's true. You live in the real world, you don't show up on time, see you. Go find yourself another job. When you're dating, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Jerry. It's okay. You'll get there someday. Okay? If you have a date, listen, you better be on time. There's nothing worse than showing up at a date and you're late. If you're late, it better be a good excuse. It better be a really good excuse. What does that mean? It's just telling your attitude. When you show up for late for service, it's, it's your attitude towards God. If you don't do it to show up to show your faith to your BCM leader or to a, a, a pastor or, or to your friends, you're coming before God. Should we not be on time? This grace, I think, that in God's people, knowing what time it is, it's not like you have to walk 100 miles in some parts of the world. It's not like you have to hide underground in some parts of the world to worship God. We have cars. We have freeways. We have Uber. I don't know what the reason is why people can't show up on time to service. Be on time. It's about the attitude. We don't come before worship or gather worship on a Sunday morning because of a pastor, because of a teacher, because of a friend. We come for one reason, one purpose, that is to worship the risen Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Be early. Just don't show on time, be early. I have a friend, he loves Chick-fil-A. I'm not a Something. Like, I want red meat on my salad. Come on. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Meat eaters and meat eaters. Okay? Hey, you vegetarians and vegans, you know, you know what you are? You know what the American Indians call you guys? Bad hunter. Sorry, not you guys. Because you can't catch anything when they give you green meat. Bad hunter, get it? Oh, my gosh. What's wrong with you guys? Wake up this morning. But this dude loves Chick-fil-A so much. When I was in Washington, Chick-fil-A first opened up. It was crazy. And we were living in a city called Renton. They opened up a, a Chick-fil-A. And they said, the first 100 per people in line get what? A year worth of Chick-fil-A. And I said, it's not bad. And uh, he got in line. He got in line. He loves Chick-fil-A so much. He didn't get in line when the door opened. He got in line 12 hours before it was open. He camped there. He opened. Now, I'm not saying that you have to camp out here. But, but you talk about, like, people who are, like, like Pastor Ezekiel was talking about this Sunday about he went to Disneyland and they have a new land called, what is it called? Star Wars Land, right? Is it called Star Wars Land? Right? And I, I remember that every year when, when they come up with a new Star Wars movie, they're the, they're, the, they're the crazy Star Wars fans, right? Like crazy Star Wars fanatics. What do they do? They get in line. 
They don't show up at times to get to get their reports done. They tell me to camp out. Just to see a movie. And you think about that. Just to see a movie. I tell you, of you, you know, I tell you, in true revival, right? In the church in America, our people are like knocking through the doors to come and before the Lord Jesus Christ. They show on time. There's a lot of things to do when you come early. You can pray. Amen. You can volunteer your time to serve. You can put your chairs in order and place. I mean, there's so many things to do. You could be a greeter. What do you guys call that over there? Uh, Kyra. I could be in the Kyra seat. There's so many things, right, church? My point is this. It's your attitude. It's how you let that worship. And, and Peter says here, knowing that you and I are ransomed from the, not from the futile ways inherited from the forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, what? Blood of Jesus that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And what Peter is saying is this, know who you are. Know who you are. Look at these initials, Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place uh, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, with the right attitude, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, he says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He goes on to say in verse 24, let us. Consider how to stir one another to love and work, not neglecting to meet together as in habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, obviously, in this context, it's referring to Christ's soon return. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that let us draw near. Let us with a clear conscience. Let us hold fast. Let us stir each other up in the faith. And this is a, also applicable to the seasoned VPN in Dallas. Let us hold fast. Let us stir one another. Let us approach God with a humble and a gratitude attitude. Look at verse 26 of Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But what? A fearful expectation of what? Judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three. How much worse punishment do you think will be delivered by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of God? You know, I had a very interesting conversation with my wife. I was at Texas. After many years in Texas. Well, I was actually, I was in the city of Houston. And I was asked um, to come and share at, uh, it was a military ministry event. I was speaking to military veterans about what they do, about how what they do for me, how I pray, and also then for the ministry that they expected me to participate in combat. Suicide prevention, and just the high rate of suicide for veterans, and all because of what they do for me to God. And veterans have the highest rate of depression among all veterans. And you're welcome. And if you didn't have to go to work or if you didn't have to go, you're welcome. And uh, I apologize in advance for that, but I'm going to briefly give you a little bit of that. 
in any, any amusement park. I am too old to wait in line for two hours for a ride. Anyways, just that was a something random. Um, and I, you know, I was sitting with somebody during lunch, and we were talking about, like, um, I asked him about the faith of Christ. And um, this person was saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I said, oh, great. So tell me about your faith of Christ. And basically, Jesus, how he, like, describes Jesus is like a prison. Jesus has cells. Now, listen, is Jesus your friend? Amen. But he is more than just a friend. Okay? Jesus is more than just a friend. He's more than your boo. I mean, I hear people talk about that. Like, Jesus is my boo. What the, what the, what? You know why people do that? It's because this. People create God in their image. That's not how it works. God created man in his image. But what we do, right, because our hearts are evil, our hearts are rebellious, we create God in our image. We think that God is some BFF. Oh, he's my boo. I heard some person talk about Jesus is like my genie. Really? Really? They talk about the Holy Spirit, like being my genie. No, 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 no. He's not our servant. We are his servant. We're not God. He is God. We are not Lord. He's Lord. He's not just Lord. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's the one who will come one day, someday, and there's not going to be one person in doubt. Because they say when he comes, he will come with the voice of an archangel and a shout from heaven. And the trumpet of God will blast. And everyone will know whether they have put their faith in Christ or not, that Jesus is Lord. And every knee will bow. Every knee will. didn't say some will bow. It didn't say Christians will only bow. Every knee will bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and the King of kings. But we could, right, we could choose to voluntarily bow before Jesus as Lord. But when he returns, if you have not given your life to Christ, you will be voluntold to do it. Okay? Let me read Matthew 4. Yeah. God will command his full soldiers when he comes, when he returns, and establishes his kingdom on this earth. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying this. That don't take Worshiping God cavalier or carelessly. As we look at this text here, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 11. It's always important when you hear someone preach, okay? One of the things I want to, it's really important that we hear. When you hear someone preach, always, whenever they preach, say this briefly, how you feel. You ever hear preachers take a scripture verse? They read it, and they never text it. They never preach the text. They never expound from it. They use the text as a pretext about their little cute stories, their experiences with God. It has nothing to do with the text. Be careful with preachers like that. Because you know what their job is? You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to fix your ears. To make you impatient. No. You want to be able to always, when you hear a preacher preach, you hear the text that was read, but always with the context. Because why? I know you guys are mad. I see a lot of Christian groups right now in the church, right? How many here like Christian groups? I love it. I love it. Because when you interpret scripture, it's always context. Context, context, context. Context is huge. It's huge. You know who was the greatest theologian next to Jesus Christ? Jesus. Satan. When Satan approached Jesus in the wilderness, you know how he attacked Jesus? He used what? Scripture. Text. But every single scripture that he would give to Jesus to tempt him, it was always out of context. Always out of context. So be careful. That's one of the criteria, right? You have to look at 
Reuben can use the knowledge he has from his dad. This person had a solid hold of the scriptures. All of scriptures. Not just part of scriptures. Not just a little bit of scriptures. All of scriptures. The whole counsel of scriptures. The whole word of God. Korean chicken place at the store. That's the only chicken I like. You know the buffalo wing chicken? The Korean style chicken? The really crispy chicken? With the sauce chicken? Okay. That kind of chicken. All right, let me expound here. And so I was sharing with Clyde about Clyde's uh, and uh, Orion, my three-year-old, about, you know, did he use guinea pigs? Did he use black eyes? And he's like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't know about that. You know, I don't think anything of it. That's his hand. Given, great, uh, truth. But he wants to glorify it. He thinks it's kind of a reverential view to say, well, you know, right? Anyway, we read the Bible. And so the great question he asked me is like, where should I start? I said, Genesis to Revelation. He looked at me, really? Yeah. I'm dead serious. Everyone in word in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, even the book of Numbers, yes, even the book of De- De- Deuteronomy, yes, even book of, uh, 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 what was the other book there, uh, Leviticus, yes, yes, every single word in the Bible, you have to read it, from Genesis to Revelation, and Christians, Christians, you will never grow without reading the word of God, and you will never grow, listen to what I'm saying, you will never grow, okay, taking the word of God like it's just like your old-time buffet. Is this a buffet? I don't know. Somebody give me a picture here. Okay. I don't like your buffet. Okay. <laughs> I set you up really good, didn't I? Man's duplication is like old people's food. You think about it, right? It's old people's food. Anyway, this, this, well, my point is this, okay. You can't pick and choose the word of God, like what you like, what you don't like. The word of God's not your buffet. The word of God's the whole course meal. And you need to take the whole course meal. From the appetizers to the, the main dish to the dessert, the whole thing. Read the whole Bible. But where should you start? Start tomorrow. Well, look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 17. It says, but in the following instruction, Paul said, I do not commend you. So when you come together, check this out. It is not for better. Wow. But for worse. What's he talking about here? Paul is talking about the worship that was taking place in the church of Corinthians. He's saying when you come together, Worship, it is not for better, he says. It's for worse. Do we say to ourselves, when we come together and worship, is it for better or is it for worse? Is it for God's glory or for your own pleasure? Is it for his honor or so you can get entertained? I'm telling you, church, there are churches in America that Everything they do, it's not about worshiping God, it's not about glorifying God, it's what? How do we gain more people in heaven? How do we entice people? How do we tickle their ears? I'm, I'm, I'm just glad. I love you guys. But I was there. I was there, not there then, but I was still there. Houston. Houston has the biggest gathering. It's called a gathering, but it's not a church. It's, it's called Lakewood Church. But it's a gathering. Okay? There's a guy named Joe Osteen. Okay? He is the most pitiful, so-called preacher teacher of the world. He picks and chooses scriptures that's totally out of context. He was given a platform at, at uh, uh, in CNN and other great 
to keep the gospel. And he asked this question, flippantly, of scripture. Like, what does, what does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say Jesus Christ? I mean, you can't go wrong with this, okay? Is Jesus Christ the only way to salvation? He cannot answer that. Because he was so afraid to offend people. Now, what offends me is when you look at Herman Miller and Chuck E. Cheese. But what really offends me is this prosperity gospel. It's not even gospel. It's called a prosperity gospel. It's prosperity gospel. Right? This idea like you follow Jesus. God will make you rich. God will make you healthy. God will take you to the parking lot at Walmart. He laughed. I'm telling you, I heard him talk about that. And if you can't get a parking lot at Walmart, it's because you have a lack of faith. Because Jesus has become a thief. What a blasphemous concept. That he's the beckoning of your wishes, your desires, your fleshly, temporary desires. Right? Think about it. He's nothing but a spiritual pimp that has prostituted the gospel for a profit. And it's a Ponzi because he lives in a $4 million house where the majority of the people are struggling, suffering to just get their bills to pay. It's a Ponzi. And why do people are drawn to that? Why? Because his so-called prosperity preachers, okay? They appeal to man's needs. That's why. You know what my Bible tells me? You know what the scripture tells me here? All those who desire to be rich will fall into and shipwreck their faith. The love of money, this is insane. We're living in a crazy world today. Where instead of preachers saying, do not love manna, do not love money, love the Lord Jesus Christ. We got preachers now saying, love money. And by the way, God is your pimp that can help you and hook you up with more money. You think about that. And it is the biggest scandal in America. Let me tell you, church, GTM students, this is the state of the spiritual condition in America. And God, we pray for revival. God, we pray for repentance. God, we pray for humility. God, we pray that preachers will go back to the word of God and teach you God's word and preach you God's word. Because they're trying to itch people's ears to draw more people in more numbers. If you, if you, if we, if we, listen, if we, if we equate numbers and success, Jesus was the greatest failure. Come on. Going to the cross and dying for your sins and my sins. He had nobody, no one attendance in his church. They all fled. They all denied him. We're not driven by numbers, church. We're driven by the love of God. Amen. We're driven by the grace of God. Amen. We're driven by the truth of God. We're driven by the spirit of God. Paul says, I am compelled, he says, I am compelled to preach the gospel. Why? Why? Because he understood that all these things in the world were nothing, but only the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. He was compelled by that truth. You see here, Corinth church, and God forbid if it, if it, if it applies to us, he said that, that when you gather, it is not for better for worse. You know what I pray? I pray every church in America that is liberal will go to church. And whenever I hear a liberal church that denies the resurrection of Christ, that denies the sacrifice of Jesus, that denies the authority of scripture, they close, I rejoice. Amen. Amen. But we need church leaders today that preach the word, that preach the word, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. You know what that means? 
popular and preaching when he's not popular. Because people's friends, bad emotions come and go. But the word of God will be your friend. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. But not one iota. I love that. One, you know what that is? Dot. Yes, that's me. All right, come on. The smallest alphabet in the Greek. The little dot. Iota. Not one dot will pass away. The word of God is forever eternal. Our whole nation, our whole nation will walk away from God. And it's happening because of God's people. Because God's people truly gather, who know the Lord Jesus Christ. When we gather, we have to pray that they may be for better, not for worse. Look what it says in verse 18. For in this first place, when you come together as a church, I heard that there are divisions among you. And I believe in heart, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What does Paul say? Heart in a team correctly. See, usually the church in Corinth, he said, when they gathered, it wasn't so many better. Because why? Even though they gathered, they were divided. They were divided. The context is this. When you look at 1 Corinthians, some people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Some say, oh, I'm with, I'm with Peter. Some say, I'm, I, I'm, with, I'm with Paul. And Paul responded, hey, that's a heresy right there. Because I did not come to give peace. I did not come to baptize, but rather preach the gospel. To some, but we preach the love. To some, but some, we preach the love. To some, but we will receive eternal life. Through the church of the living Not in one body. So we're dealing with contradiction. I know, listen, listen. I'm asking you to pray because I know many of you have many questions, concerns, problems. I think it's so important in this season of Redeemer that we are one mind, one purpose, one heart. So how do we keep the unity of the faith? We pray. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We love one another. We help each other in this season of salvation. Amen? So when we're talking about the means of worship, it's so essential when we gather that it is for better, not for worse. We gather for worshiping Christ. We gather for, for the glory of Christ. We gather for the service of Christ. I love, like, you know, reading the book of Acts and see how the first century Christians did church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47 says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So not only they were one in faith, one in hope, but one in caring for one another. What is that? One in love. Verse 46 says, and day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is that you? I pray the VPN, the light bulb will be on. I pray to all of us, this is just the beginning. That's not your dying hope. Go back to 1 Corinthians. text that I read to you, verse 23 to 25. So I read to you this text to you before, and I shared with you that this actually is unique to Lord's Day. Now, if you're new at uh, Lord's Redeemer Church, welcome. We have, uh, we have communion once a quarter. Now, I find out that you can't attach it once a year, like you can't attach it every Sunday. That's not enough. Should you do it more often? Why should you do it more often? Because why? We won't forget. Paul said, I can't forget what Jesus died for me. Paul was struggling. He couldn't forget. He couldn't forget. People, Christians, all 
other time, I, I call it have spiritual autopsy. That's what he says here. But verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus that night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance. Do it as a what? Remembrance. Do it what? What, what, what? Remembrance. What did, you, what did he just say? Remembrance. Because he forgot. In the same way, also he took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In what? Remembrance. Remember. For as often. What does that mean, as often? Can we do it once a week? Can we do it once a month? Can we do it once a quarter? Can we do it once a year? Well, my personal opinion, you should do it at least more than once a year. That's my personal opinion. I know some people who do it like every week. KM side, that's what we call it killer ministry. We do it once a month. But we, you know, we're legal. We do it. Easy. So we do it once a quarter. The point is this. As often you do this, right, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we got to do it? Because clearly, we as Christians, we have spiritual autopsy. We have to be always reminded of Christ's greatest gift to mankind. Now, let me say that again. Christ's greatest gift to you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out where I heard this from. But someone told me that you and I, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves often. 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 And the reality is this. The most influential preacher is not a, some pastor or some celebrity preacher. You. What are you preaching to yourself? Are you preaching the gospel truth to you, or are you preaching lies? Are you preaching what the world tells about you, or what the world tells about God? That's why it's so important for us to do it often. And see, when we do this, rather you're taking communion or you preaching the gospel to yourself, or preaching the gospel to each other, you are reminding each other and yourself what Christ did and what he did. You are reminded again that God, the Lord Jesus, the man, and fully God, fully man, the mystery of the incarnation, as we're about to celebrate Christmas, God with us, is a reminder that Christ died for us and he is with us. Jesus says this, this blood, right, or this bread is a sign of a new covenant that God has made a covenant with God's people that God has made not just a contract but a covenant a promise for you and I it is a promise that no one could break because God made it God made that promise see this covenant He made that covenant, he made that price, and he sealed it. How did he seal it? By the resurrection. And because he sealed it with the resurrection, there is hope. There is security. There is assurance that God's covenant will never be broken. But it's for those who believe in it, for those who hope in it, those who trust in it, those who persevere into it. God's covenant will never be broken. Father, we ask you right now that the meaning of this will look like the loaves and the fishes. Look at us. Our motive worship will look like that. Our music will look like that. Our life will look like that. Our everyday life will look like that. 
therefore, therefore, and whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty in the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks or drinks without discerning the body eats or drinks judgment on himself. This prompts to criticism. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul says even here in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, referring to judgment, like judging the court of conscience. He's talking about what? Examining yourself. Looking at your life. Does your life reflect the sacrifice of Christ? That's what he's saying here. Does your attitude, does your life, does your actions, does your prayer, does your worship, does your giving, does your service reflect the sacrifice of Christ? Think about that, right? Why does the Bible say, okay, whatever you do, do it with all your heart? Why? Why? Is it just such a nice, poetic phrase? Whatever you do, what? Do it with all your heart? No. This is what Christ did. Christ gave his full strength, his whole life. says, whatever you do, do it with what? Wholeheartedly. Whether you're praying, whether you're serving, whether you're in school, whether you're, your relationship with your friends or your family, you do it wholeheartedly with total loving grace and humility. Why? Because that's what Christ did. And so when he says here, judge yourself, he means Examine your love. Does your life, does your life reflect, not live up to, because you can't live up to Christ's death, right? But we reflect what Christ has done for us. Look at verse 32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. That when you come together, it will not be judgment about the other things, other good works that they have done. Now, the context here, okay, notice context, context, context. Because let me give you the context. This is what's going on. The church in Corinthians is gathering together for this feast. It's the first time they're meeting it. What do we call it? We call it a Pascha. They call it a Pascha Sunday. Those who were able to give, they would gather and they would share their meals. And you know what's going on? This is so, this is so like human nature. Even if you're a Christian, some people will come late. Because they're Albanian pastors. Now, you don't know why they came late, right? Because a lot of reasons why. Because, you know, they didn't have Uber back then. Enough food. The food ran out. We, we didn't know we were going to have 250 people come. We had a lot of people that day. And so we had to tell people, hey, hey, hey. Don't, you know how people go to the food line? They just pack it up. If you're that person, you better repent. Okay? You're not considering other people. You pack it up, but you don't even finish it. And you throw it away. 
see so many people like take a whole bunch of food, you don't finish it, and then I see people in the back of the line, they didn't get anything to eat, and then you had leftover food, you threw it away. That make a little conviction. But seriously, that was what was going on. What is that? They were not considering, they were not loving other brothers and sisters. By the way, you know what they were doing too? Some of them, they were part of the dietary, right? Wine was part of their diet. Do you know why people drink wine back then? Because it saved them by Jerusalem back then. Do you know why Jerusalem drinks it back in the day? Does anybody know why? The fermentation would kill the bacteria that was in the food they ate. That's the reason why. Wine was sort of medicine. They didn't have running water. They, they didn't have bottled water. They didn't have like a water faucet back then. You think they didn't get water? Water was bad. It was really bad. And they would take wine to brew it a lot of times to kill the bacteria, the sanitizer food they would partake to eat of it. So what was going on in the context when I was reading some of the commentaries, man, Christians would gather and they would get drunk. They would get drunk. I mean, can you imagine that we just had a church picnic and here's Pastor Dick getting up, getting drunk. Like getting drunk. How many of you have gone that way? Look at worship lives. How does that feel? How does that feel when I do that? How does that feel? Do you know, this is so sad. Do you know that here in Phoenix, I'm serious, there is people in the Southern California area and beyond who have the best lunch Sunday, go to that church. Maybe some of you are like that. I'm dead serious. You have experienced this. People are looking for a church and beyond, have the meal, have the lunch. I don't even have time to eat lunch on a Sunday. I, I wish I could go down at the cafeteria, sit down, and have me some sabuki chop. I mean, I got to eat in between services. Because I got preaching, I got meetings, and, you know, sometimes I don't eat anything on a Sunday until I get home to like 5 o'clock. People wanted to gather, and they would take advantage of that opportunity and they would get drunk. They would, they would take advantage of gluttony, drunkenness. It's not worship, it's about me. For me, that it's about them. It's about the Lord. Let me just give you an exercise. yourself. He says, examine yourself. Look at verse 29. Before anyone who eats and drinks or not discern the body, right? Meaning the body of Christ. Look, he has done what he is. That is without being aware that this bread is not to be treated like a like a like a chicken sandwich. The way some people are doing in Corinth. He says, eat and drink judgment on yourself. And God brought judgment. Let me say something. You know where the most dangerous place to be on a, on a given Sunday morning? is in church. Isn't that crazy? On a given day, on a given Sunday, you hear God's word week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and it's God being preached to you, and it just goes right over your head. Not that you didn't hear. You heard it. You just didn't hear it. Like you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like you feel it. You, you, you heard it, but you didn't hear it. Like you didn't like receive it. You didn't like take it. You didn't like, like believe it. A lot of people on Sunday morning, they hear, and they just right over their head. And guess what? The Lord will put you and I out of place. Every single word that you hear. Every single sermon that you heard, every single time the word of God is preached, you and I will give an account before the Lord one day. So receive it with humility. Receive it with hunger. You say, Pastor Ed, I, I'm not hungry for God's word. Well, repent. I didn't finish that story, right, the parable of the Pharisee who was preaching himself 
sinner. Jesus says, could not even look up to heaven. And what did he do? Beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me. That was his response to the presence of God. That was his response to the preaching of God's word. Listen, the word of God does two things. It'll harden your heart or it'll soften your heart. The word of God will bring salvation and condemnation. It's how you take it. Someone say that to me. I just want to hear it. I won't get it done. He said, you better bring it. It better be a good message. I said, look at it, bro. It'll be only good if you receive it well. Because when I preach, I always bring it. I always bring the word of God. Every time I preach, I always wave the gospel some form or fashion. I don't preach to give you some, you know, behavioral modification. I don't preach to make you entertained or fun. I'm always bringing the word. The only reason why the word of God is not that good is because you didn't receive it well. Amen. What? I'll get an amen over there, man. Did I get an amen? Come on. I'm serious. The difference between a good sermon and a great sermon, okay, is this, how you receive the word of God. Amen. That means what? Don't blame me for the sermon wasn't that great. Blame yourself. Blame your heart. Blame your attitude. Blame your lack of capacity to hear the word of God, the truth of God. Blame your lack of humility. Lack of hunger. Lack of desire. Amen. Good preaching, amen. Let me wrap it up. As we talk about the heart of worship, Heart of worship, ladies and gentlemen. It's costly. It's what Jesus did for us. And because what Jesus did for us on the cross, you and I should be humbled by that and thankful for that and have gratitude as we love and worship the Lord. There's a I'm just older than you. And, you know, I like, I like some of these, you know, new Christian, cool lyrics, worship songs. They're okay. But nothing like a good old hymn. Come on. Nothing like a good old hymn. There's a hymn writer named George Bernard. He was born in 1873. Passed away in 1963. He accepted Christ as a Savior at a revival meeting sponsored by the Salvation Army. This is still around today. And by George's uh, father was a coal miner. And um, he passed away when George was only 16 years old. He was hoping to become an evangelist. At 16 years old, he wanted to go and do the Lord's work, spread the gospel. But because his dad passed away as a lung cancer working on the coal mine, he decided to support his mother and his brother and sister. And he had stutter. You think that was any less spiritual? Of course not. I would think it's more spiritual. The Bible says you are no better than a non-believer if you can't provide for your own family. Someone asked me, Pastor, why do you have so many kids? It's called retirement planning. Amen. You think I trust Social Security? Are you kidding me? My 401k? Are you serious? No, I got four kids. They're my retirement plan. Amen. But sometime later, Bernard moved to Chicago, very experienced evangelistic ministry with the Salvation Army. And as a preacher in the city of Chicago, he went through a lot of difficulties. He went through hardships, depression. And in 1912, as he was struggling, with many personal problems and the problems of the church, he reflected on Christ's life on the cross. And he wrote, which became a hymn now, a poem. It's called The Old Rugged Cross. And I'm going to read this to you from Country Street Church this morning, this evening. That's the actual hymn. And this is how the hymn goes. On a hill far away, 
with an old rugged cross. An emblem of suffering and pain. And I love the old cross for the dealers from death. For a world of lost sinners and pain. The close quote. The close quote says this. So I cherish the old rugged cross. So much hoping that last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange someday for a brand new one. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world. Has a wondrous and practical meaning. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to Calvary. On the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to pardon and sanctify me. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I shall see. So deep. That is so deep. The heart of worship, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead that you and I might have life and life eternal through the risen Savior. Let's pray with me.